Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're going to be discussing the USA's emphatic, I think emphatic is the right word, 6-1 win over New Zealand in their Olympic group stage match. To do so, I'm joined by a woman who, in honor of the USA's first half, I will be introducing six times, but only two of them will count. It's Jordan Angeli. Jordan, hello. Jordan, hello. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. And um, hello, Taylor. Do I have to do the ones that were offside, so I have to say it four times, or...? No, uh, no we'll I think b- because they don't count, even if we okay, do, okay. even if you did, we could just say you did, and then we'll just say I removed them from the recording. <laughs> right, you would have edited way. it out. Okay, exactly, cool. exactly. Yeah, because you, you know, uh, just you know, m- watch your positioning a little bit more in those introductions, Jordan. I know, and I think I we'll know. be just fine. Uh, oh joining God. us is a gentleman who I think deserves at least partial credit for both of the own goals. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. <laughs> That's my bread and butter, Taylor, forcing own goals. Uh, it's it's a skill of sorts, but not really. I think that fits my brand. It does. It does indeed. And I think a 6-1 win uh, in the group stage fits the U.S. brand uh, pretty well. This was a game that I think none of us were so concerned about coming out of that loss to Sweden, uh, thinking that maybe New Zealand would be a bit more cautious. The U.S. would have a point to prove, and here we are. Uh, Jordan, what were your thoughts when you saw that opening lineup, which did have some changes, did have Mm -hmm. some surprise inclusions, I would say? I think with the... I think the U.S. probably anticipated New Zealand to not have such a high-pressing attack. So when you're in a block, you would want more players who are able to break down that low block. So I think bringing, starting Carly Lloyd and giving her that chance, starting Megan Rapino, who can get to the end line and pull some players out and be a little bit more creative. I think some of those changes, and then Julie Ertz starting, was was key in this one as we'll go through it. I think the yeah. one surprise, and maybe just to manage minutes, was Becky Sauerbrunn not getting the start. That's not something that we normally see. And I know, Taylor, you and I talked about uh, her being such a key player for this team. But um, we also, this tournament happens fast, and it's important to manage minutes for players. So I think that they brought players into the lineup who were effective in this one and could help them maybe not as much as they wanted to in the first half break down this team successfully, but um, they definitely were knocking on the door. They absolutely were. And I think a large part of that was the U.S. being more proactive in their positioning, I think being a bit more aggressive and getting more and better numbers around the ball when they would win the ball back. Joe, in those opening couple minutes with the lineup and with the approach, uh, were you heartened by what you saw with both the lineup and the selections and then also just the way the U.S. started this game? Absolutely. I was a little surprised. I mean, five changes in the starting lineup for the U.S. And Jordan talked about me why some of those things happened. And I agree, uh, especially Carly Lloyd coming in. I thought she was a, a big difference maker for the U.S. almost from the start of this game. The approach in general was just it was just better in pretty much every phase of play in possession. The U.S. actually circulated the ball from side to side, which is something that we talked about having not actually happened against Sweden. The U.S. almost just split the field in half vertically against Sweden and just committed to playing on one half at any given time. In this game, they played across the whole field, and that helped a lot. Their counterpressure, much more active in this game. Julie Ertz obviously helps with that, but Carly Lloyd was tracking balls down. She was everywhere. Rose Lavelle in midfield. I mean, all of the U.S.'s outfield players were contributing in that way. The high-press suffocated New Zealand, who just didn't appear to really have the quality or the approach to play through that pressure, so they started playing over it. The U.S. still won those balls in midfield, which, again, wasn't happening in that Sweden game. So every bit of this game, I mean, I think the top line in my notes is the U.S. looks so much better in every way from that first half, mm-hmm. and I think that applied to the second half as well. 
Jordan, do you feel like is there an argument to be made that it's almost a like cyclical chicken or the egg t- type scenario when we're trying to explain what happened in this game? Because for me, I think it's New Zealand sitting off in that sort of four four one one, being a bit more like mid block defensive, but allowing the U.S. to have time and space, allow the U.S. to kind of play the way they wanted to. But then once the pl- they're playing the way they want to. There's more confidence, there's more swagger, there's just more yeah. belief going forward, and then I think New Zealand sit off even more, and it kind of goes back and forth like that one. So I'm inclined to say it really is a perfect marriage of New Zealand maybe taking that more cautious approach defensively and the U.S. being really up for it and being set up to attack that sort of cautious approach. I think you're right, because if you if you would have played a team similar to Sweden in this game again, I think that you would be able to say, okay... It was because now the U.S. made adaptations to their game and they were able to manage some things that maybe Sweden threw at them that they weren't able to figure out in that game. It's hard to determine what that was. Was it because New Zealand just wasn't of the quality of Sweden and um, it allowed the U.S. to gain the confidence? Or did the U.S. come out just ready to roll and say, "Okay, we don't go from one mistake to the next. We have a mistake, we change path, we course correct, and we say, all right, we're going to get after this team, this next team. So I do think that there was two factors to this, and it um, you kind of wish it was a little bit tougher of opponent. Maybe Australia would have even been better in that next opponent to show what the U.S. has has done um, coming after such a difficult loss for them. So I think it was hard to figure out which one it was. But I think the U.S. was up for it. And right from the get-go, they were implementing uh, their high press, their counter press that Joe said. And because of that, they were able to flood zones of the field and get more players forward. And when they win it back, then they're in prime position to do what they love to do is to create and to pull players into different directions um, in that defensive structure for New Zealand. I think the reason why maybe I'm I'm asking these questions early is obviously because I'm interested, but also because like I have a hard time knowing if this is the U.S. sort of responding to that result against Sweden and now we can feel like, okay, it was just a one-off, things are going to be better, or if it was New Zealand sort of setting up in a way that really does allow the United States to dictate the style of play. Because even the first goal, it goes all the way back to Lissanaire. She has the long ball clear that Carly Lloyd does really well to win and flick on. Lindsay Horan settles. I think the ball gets poked away to Tobin Heath. Tobin Heath with a great ball in. Rose Lavelle finishes really well. And it's sort of the United States having that talent and technique mm-hmm. and familiarity to play off of each other. But it's still a direct approach. And I don't, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong or bad or a negative sign. It's just sort of it. it there were goals later on that were much more possession-oriented and well-worked. And this one felt kind of smash and grab, which felt like what the U.S. was looking for the entire game against Sweden. Do, do do either of you share that concern, or are you more okay with it, especially given the result? I don't. Sh- I'm not really concerned about it. I guess mm-hmm. because we did really see a more varied approach in this game relative to the Sweden game, and I already kind of mentioned it. The U.S. used the ball a lot more in this game, and they took advantage of the space that New Zealand was giving them. They still played direct, and multiple goals came from that direct play, Taylor. The first goal that you just described, and uh, Kristen Press's goal in the second half comes off of Julie Ertz winning the ball in midfield, then driving forward and crossing it in. Uh, I mean, th- there's multiple. Uh, th- the goal at the end as well for the U.S. comes off of more of a counterattack in second half stoppage time. Alex Morgan's goal right before that. I mean, there are goals that come from those more vertical sequences 
But there's also moments, and probably a lot more moments in this game, that come from detailed possession play, from midfielders rotating into different spaces. One thing I thought was really interesting in this match was Lindsey Horan dropping into both full back spots. Emily Sonnet's right back spot pushing Sonnet forward. Crystal Dunn's left back spot oftentimes tucking Dunn inside. That then allowed, that then allowed Lindsey Horan to get on the ball and, and drive forward or play make more, certainly more than she had been allowed to do against Sweden in either the sixth spot or the eighth spot in that first match. So there, there were adjustments from Vlatko. There were changes with how this U.S. team approached possession, and those changes helped them become more dangerous against a roughly similar positionally type of defensive block. New Zealand in a 4-4-2, mm-hmm. 4-4-1-1. Sweden played a similar shape. New Zealand did not execute nearly to the level that Sweden did in terms of keeping things compact and compressed. But still, I think I think we did see a real tangible improvement from the U.S. in possession and just a willingness to be on the ball more and be more patient and use that patience to create incisive chances. So I think I left feeling encouraged rather than concerned about that vertical play, Taylor. Right. Well, they did have more time to be patient, right? (laughs) When you're not getting high pressed by the opponent, you're going to feel more patient in your possession. But I think what you're talking about, Joe, too, speaks to what the opponent is. And Taylor, you said it was a little direct at moments, but I think that is purposeful from the U.S. women's national team because they knew, all right, if... If we get New Zealand, if we allow New Zealand to get into this low block, well, that's going to be really hard. It's it's harder to break down. So we do have this ability to play a little bit more direct and try to beat them when there's more space between the lines from a ball by Alyssa Nair. There was a ball in the second half where Kristen Press was stretching the back line. And I think Julie Ertz played her in early uh, in a transition moment. And I think that, that that's purposeful just because because of how New Zealand was playing, you don't want to just allow them mm-hmm. to get into that block. No, I think I think you both make very good points. And I think you're also <laughs> correct in pointing out that with the U.S. going ahead, it then becomes more logical to kind of sit off a little bit, invite New Zealand forward, try to kind of pull them out of that block, and then hit them on the break knowing that they have to chase and try to make something happen. So I think... Maybe that little concern aside with New Zealand maybe letting the U.S. be too comfortable, I think it's then incumbent upon the United States to take the game and take control and take momentum and make something happen. And I think they did that early. They did it often. They got six goals. It could have been, what, ten, I think, if all of them had stood, but four called back for offside. Um that was a thing I paid particular attention to in the rewatch of the first half was why did the U.S. seem to keep getting called offside? And... I have some ideas on that. I'm wondering if either of you do as well. I want to hear yours, Taylor. I want to hear yours because right. I, I mean, obviously yeah. I, I noticed that. It looked to me like some of the runners were just a bit antsy, but yeah. uh, I, I want to hear the more in-depth explainer. I think it's essentially that uh, in that back four with New Zealand, it tended to be Abby Ursek leading and it was they would drop once the U.S. had possession out wide and especially when they thought maybe a cross was going to be come in, coming in or if they had been... Not even too narrow. I think their approach was to have a lot of numbers centrally, but that did leave space out wide. And as soon as a ball was played into space for one of the U.S. fullbacks to advance on and very likely cross in, you'd see New Zealand collapse towards like the six-yard box. But they did a pretty good job of holding that line at the 18 and stepping to the 18 pretty regularly. A few moments, it's it's slightly ragged, and it tended to be C.J. Bott, who I think had a couple different responsibilities, maybe being the last one to step. But for the most part, they did a really good job. And so the U.S. at first, I think, weren't expecting that step, weren't expecting to sort of be caught out in that way. 
and were punished for it once or twice. Then what started happening is that the U.S., in my read at least, started expecting that drop to occur once the ball went wide. At the very least, the Carly Lloyd offside that led to the Megan Rapino goal that was then disallowed. She is definitely doing that forward thing of standing in an offside position. Luis Suarez does this really well. Standing in an offside position and then expecting the line to drop so quickly that you become onside without actually having to move. And that does happen a couple times for the U.S., but New Zealand held the line well, and so that ends up being an offside sequence. So I thought New Zealand, like, definitely getting just by in that first half but then i think the united states timing gets better they get more confident they have more possession and they're just a bit more patient and i think joe to your point those runners are slightly less antsy are Mm -hmm. maybe okay with being a half second later with that run even if it means they're getting the ball a half second later if it means they're onside and now new zealand are caught out and i think that is a big difference between the first and second halves and I feel like one credit to New Zealand because I feel like the, them coming into this tournament, not having played a, per, a game together in 16 months, and then this is their second game together, yeah, yeah. to have a back line that has those responsibilities, as you just mentioned, down the way that they did, you have to give them credit, especially against a U.S. team who they knew were going to come at them with a lot of different runners. And I think that the difference also for the U.S. was – Allowing that first runner to go, but not only always playing the first runner and finding the second yeah, runner. Yeah, yeah. I know Lindsay Horan's goal in the first half that got called off was a, a cross ball, as you just mentioned, but it wasn't the first runner that went in the box. It was the deep run from midfield. And I think that's a, a difference maker in just the timing aspect. There's so much more that you can get right when you have a little bit more space and give yourself some ability to run onto it. Jordan, that's such a good point. Thank you for that. Because you're you're right. And I think like I hadn't really been able to crystallize that and your comment did. That like if you have that that direct runner up top, if it is Carly Lloyd who is standing in the offside position or is making a run, and even if she is offside and you play her the ball, offside, so be it. But as you start to get more patience and maybe you don't look for that first run, you mm-hmm. look for the late arriving run. She has still made that run and more often than not, even if they held the line to try to catch her offside. The ball's not going into her feet. They are going to drop a little bit more, that back line. And the whole mm-hmm. team is going to drop somewhat, but they will get more stretched. There will be more space. And even there, I think that patience in not just looking direct every time and trying to find that ball in between the lines, but shaping to hit that ball, making New Zealand sit off, and now yeah. Rose Lavelle or Lindsay Horan or Tobin Heath coming inside or Megan Rapino coming inside. Now they all have a few more yards, a little bit more time on the ball. It builds that confidence and it gets numbers into stronger positions and it sets the U.S. up to have more success. So I think that is an outstanding spot by you. Joe, I've been talking a whole bunch. Anything else you wanted to point out <laughs> about how the U.S. were able to sort of have more attacking joy? Absolutely. The The other major thing that I think I harped on a little bit after the Sweden game was the lack of creativity in the final third, right? We talked about moments where Crystal Dunn would have the ball wide or or any of the U.S.'s fullbacks or wingers really in that 4-3-3 against Sweden would have the ball wide in the final third and there would be almost no support. And it got better in the second half against Sweden, but it was it was pretty poor in the first half. I thought it was night and day from that Sweden game to this game against New Zealand. There are moments in, the, in, in this game for the U.S., and I took note of one specific one in the 19th minute where there's just 
so much more support out wide and so much better off-ball movement and creativity to be able to manipulate and move New Zealand defenders around to then create space. So the 19th minute example that I noted, it's Tobin Heath, Emily Sonnet, and Lindsay Horan combining on the right side. It's nice movement and interchanging. And then Rose Lavelle comes over from the left side or from the middle of the field and makes this phenomenal run into the box to get on the ball that Lindsay Horan plays into the box and gets a shot off. And the shot goes wide. But it's movement to shift New Zealand that just wasn't there in the first game. And if you want to cross the ball into the box, that's fine. But you, I think you're generally better off crossing the ball after you have some sort of destabilizing movement. And, and sometimes when you're able to pull opposing defenders around. The U.S. didn't do so much of that against Sweden. They did way more of that in this game against New Zealand. And that's something that I think translates regardless of the, uh, the, op- the opponent's defensive style. Mm-hmm. Because if you're high pressing like Sweden or, or in that high block that has specific triggers, you're still eventually going to have to track back and defend your own third. New Zealand, they didn't press as high, but they still had to defend their own third. Every team has to defend your own third. And so I, I think you need that detailed attacking movement if you're the U.S. to break down any team in that space. And so that's one thing I think translates from game to game to game. And it was good today for the U.S. On that specific play, who wanted Rose Lavelle to do a cutback? I feel like Tony <laughs> was so open at the like at the twelve. I mean, I get it. She just had scored a goal, yeah. so yeah, she's hungry. Jordan, you, yeah, you want to score it, but I was she like, she wants that oh. skyline chili. She wants that skyline chili. <laughs> By the way, Rose Lavelle in person is one of the tiniest human beings I've ever seen. So we should be literally and figuratively feeding Rose Lavelle. I think that is that, that is fair. <laughs> uh, the interchanges that Joe is mentioning, Jordan, that's something that I think you brought up in our preview of this tournament of this U.S. team of players shifting into and out of the same positions to try to pull defenders out, but also create opportunities. Did you see more of that in this game? I don't, I, I'm with Joe. I don't think we saw much of it, certainly much of it successfully against Sweden. It seems like we saw more of that here. I also saw Julie Ertz playing right back on occasion, which was mm-hmm. not something I was fully prepared to see. <laughs> what? You didn't have that in your um, <laughs> predictions for this game? I did not. I saw way more of this, and this is what we normally see from the U.S. women's national team. Because they are were able to have more space and time on the ball in a buildup, they were able to engage some of those rotations that they like to do. Joe already mentioned, or maybe you mentioned, Taylor, that Lindsay Horan likes to slide into that outside back spot. Well, because of the movement of the— It was Joe, but I will the, take the credit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because of the movement of the, the midfielders, I really do feel like it gives, or, or the, um, range of the midfielders, I should say, it gives the outside backs and even the wingers ability to find different channels to work in. So if you can draw like horizontal or vertical lines on the field, I think you can almost split it up into, five or even like seven sections. And I feel like those three outside channels, like one really, really wide, one kind of internal, and then one almost next to the nine, like that that almost center channel, but a little offset. The U.S. does a really good job of when they're building up, say, the left side, they have Crystal Dunn tucked inside where she's not quite a center midfielder, but she's not an outside back. And that allows Lindsay Horan to pull all the way outside. And then Megan Rapino goes high next to Carly Lloyd. So now you have three players in completely different channels that you wouldn't have expected. And think about what a mess that makes for the defensive team. They're like, okay, do I stay with my midfielder who's now looks like a winger? Or do I stay with Crystal Dunn who's the outside back and could overlap? at any minute, minute taking a, you know, creating an overload in the channel. I really do think they think of the game in 
all of these separate channels and they're constantly moving and they have fluidity when they're when they look like who they can be, which is the best team in the world. Their confidence on the ball allows them to look up and say, all right, Megan Rapinoe's tucked inside so Crystal Dunn can stay central. I'm Lindsay Horan. I'm going to initiate this and move out wide, whatever it is. Um, Julie Ertz did that sometimes too, more on the right side in the second half. I just feel like they know each other so well and know the spaces and the channels at which they can exploit and either create 2v1s or create enough uh havoc for the other team that they're like, okay, who do I mark here? So it gives them space where we saw Julie Ertz in the channel crossing early because no one was pressuring her. They're like, I don't, I don't know. Is that my mark? Is that somebody else's mark? Um, really interesting movement by the U S and it made it difficult for New Zealand in that four, four, two block as to which player stepped or dropped, or sometimes it looked like a five back because I think they got so overloaded. Uh, it was, it was really good movement by the U S it was, and it makes it so hard to defend if you're New Zealand or really any opponent yeah. because once they get into that rhythm and there is the interchange and the movement and the passing rhythm and the passing rate, you, you can't sort of game plan for that as successfully as you can if you block that sort of first approach. If, you're, if you are making the U.S. go that sort of long direct route every single time and it's not coming off, it, it makes it harder for them to get into second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever gear – but once yeah. they start possessing and moving and moving, you can't really – you can game plan for like, okay, if, if if Crystal Dunn goes here, then I go here. If Crystal Dunn goes there, then I go here. But then there's four more things that Crystal Dunn was doing in that yeah. second half as the U.S. became more ball dominant that I think you really can't set up to defend. And it makes it just that much harder. It basically relies on uh, improvised defense and sort of people figuring it out in the moment. And against the United States, who have the talent they do and the depth they do, as we heard many times in the broadcast, that – like reliance on individual figuring out is going to come up against a U.S. team that's playing cohesive collective soccer. And I think the individual tends to uh, succumb in those moments. That, yeah. that was my read on the overall way this game went down. Yeah. And just to go on that, in the 39th minute, I saw the really cool interchange that we don't see often is the U.S. had Crystal Dunn pushed into the midfield. So she engaged the outside midfielder essentially for that 442 block for New Zealand and Megan Rapinoe pulled really wide. So then it looked like a, almost a three back for the US. It was Davidson who pinged a ball to Rapinoe and now Crystal Dunn is making that inside out little like button hook run that Lindsay Horan likes to make or Roosevelt even makes it on the right side where she's starting inside as a midfielder and then running into the channel and Megan Rapinoe tries to play her in. Like that's the movement that this New Zealand team had to try to figure out how to mark and match. And it, it looked so different in so many different occasions. And so I think that variability was really important, too. And they definitely tried to figure it out. I wouldn't say they did figure it out, uh, which has allowed us to talk about sort of the way the U.S. played. Some individuals, but Joe... In the Sweden game, we talked mostly about what went wrong, and I don't think anybody played well enough that we could spotlight individual performances or as many as we would like. This time around, I think we can. So let's talk about some individuals, Joe. Who stood out to you for whatever reason, ideally a positive reason or reasons? Oh, yes. Plenty of positives in this game, Taylor. <laughs> we can, we can, I think, even set most of the negatives aside, although I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that later. If we I mentioned Carly Lloyd already. Uh, who I just thought was phenomenal in this game, dropping in, pressing, doing all that stuff I mentioned, uh, shifting a little bit deeper into midfield. I thought, I thought really all three of the U.S. central midfielders had very different roles and, and a very different impact on the game. We talked about Lindsey Horan shifting and cueing a lot of the U.S.'s rotations in possession, which we just didn't 
see nearly as much of against Sweden. So those those rotations that you guys have described, so refreshing. And Haran's role in that was huge. Julie Ertz was a boss in midfield, as she always is, covering ground, winning the ball. She's a key player, the key player in Kristen Press's goal in the 80th minute. Uh, and then Rose Lavelle, creative, finding spaces to to advance the ball and play the ball in behind, even though some of the some of the passes that she made ended up in offside. Uh, I, I just think her movement and her ability to progress the ball was very, mm-hmm. very good in this game, as well as her defensive work. Again, another key component in the U.S.'s press. Uh, Rose Lavelle and Lindsay Horan almost always stepping up to New Zealand's double pivot in the press so that they couldn't play through those spaces. I just thought, Taylor, the U.S.'s midfield in general was downright phenomenal in this game. I absolutely agree with everything you said, and I want to start with Rose Lavelle there because I, I, I saw her, especially in that first half, stepping pretty high between the sort of wide attackers. Carly Lloyd tended to be the one who was running around hassling a little bit, but so it was the U.S., in almost a 4-2-3-1 at times. Lindsay Horan definitely still a little bit ahead of Julie Ertz, but the two of them seem to be more tasked with uh, sitting deeper, winning anything that goes over the top, but then also helping build out play and tracking any runs that do drop in to provide numbers. But Rose Lavelle, uh, often sitting on Cleverly, or first of all, whoever it was who was sitting a little deeper, that was clearly where New Zealand wanted to play. They wanted to try to play through the middle, maybe pull the U.S. central, and then they could play back spread wide and counterattack down the wings. But the U.S., Having Rose Lavelle step higher, at least it was Rose Lavelle who I spotted most of the time, like it it forced New Zealand wide or forced New Zealand direct, and then the U.S. were well positioned to win most of the headers, not always in transition, but at least in those big long ones. So I thought Rose Lavelle, obviously very good for her attacking play and gets that goal, but also her defensive positioning. Uh, Jordan, Joe mentioned Rose Lavelle, Julie Ertz, and Carly Lloyd. I'm guessing you've got some thoughts about at least one, if not all of them. Yeah, I think all those players, I thought the midfield, again, with Joe, I would echo all those sentiments. They were outstanding. Um, I, on the goal that gets called back for Tobin Heath in the first half, I wrote down, Lavelle bossed the field in that goal. It started <laughs> with the throw-in on the right side where Lavelle gets it. And then somehow she finds her way all the way on the left side as it gets moved around. She's just, she just, Feels the she's best when she feels the game, and I think a little bit of space allows her to do that. She was absolutely brilliant in so many ways, but I thought Lindsay Horan was great. Julie Ertz, what I found really interesting with those three, and then um, Sam Mewis when she came in as well, and then Macario is Julie Ertz a lot got was getting man marked by Katie Bowen for New Zealand in that. Yeah. 4-4-2, but it turned into a 4-4-1-1 defensive block shape for New Zealand. And so Bowen is just, you know, she knows Julie Ertz well. She plays an NWSL. She's just like floating around making sure Julie Ertz doesn't do Julie Ertz things. And so what the U.S. did, I thought more in the second half, is they just let Julie Ertz go higher up the field. And they they pulled Lindsay Horan back a little bit more. And then they said, all right, well, if you're going to man mark her, we're going to create some more space for somebody else. And it was really, uh, even Rose Lavelle was really deep at some moments too. And I thought that that was a really interesting way to alleviate that man marking and give every single player in the midfield a little bit more space because of it. So I, I liked that. I, I thought, um, Emily Sonnet on the right side, yeah. outside back, played well. And granted, I do think, I do think in moments still there's targeting on that right side, not because of Crystal Dunn, um, sorry, using the right side of the, the attacking team in the left side defensively, not, not necessarily because of Crystal Dunn, 
maybe because of the performance last last game against Sweden, but because of the work rate of Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath would come back and do the defensive work as that winger. But Megan Rapino doesn't really give that extra step yeah. or that extra 30 yard run to come help back defensively. And I think New, New Zealand noted that. And when they did have success, it was typically down that side um, trying to attack in the first half. They got a couple of chances off of a, a cross that, wasn't defended very well by Abby Dahlkemper um, no, with not. Wilkinson. Yeah. And what'd you say? I said, no, it was not. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think she had a great game. And that was a really, I think out of all the things, you you see some weaknesses from the defensive back line, especially with Dahlkemper. So we'll see what happens in the next game. Maybe you bring Sauerbrunn back in and play Davidson and Sauerbrunn next to each yeah. other just to see what combination is working because – you really want to make sure that's a solid combo before you go into the knockout rounds. I hadn't really thought about the effectiveness for New Zealand of those, not sort of getting to the end line and crossing in crosses, but the ones maybe 30 to 40 yards from the end line where they were pinging mm-hmm. them in for Wilkinson. And I think you're right there that those are the moments when Crystal Dunn is either maybe caught forward or caught too central. And when they do have that time to pick out that pass, that's when that long ball becomes a threat. And that's where the U.S. center backs, I think, need to be more aggressive or at least need to do a better job of tracking the obvious goal-scoring aerial threat. And I'm not sure they did <laughs> as good of a job. I yeah. thought Julie Ertz did a great job of tracking things, winning things. And the big one for me was uh, doing the vocal side of coaching and leadership uh with no fans in the stands we could hear a lot of what was happening on the pitch and one of my favorite ones uh sam Ewis when she subs on it's the 82nd minute sam Ewis off of a goal kick like works really hard to knock somebody out of position to then win the header and julia Ertz gives her an add a girl and then almost instantaneously it's basically uh add a girl now step like she said it in the same <laughs> breath of like good job but keep working and i feel like that's julia Ertz right there it's like Say oh, the yeah. positive thing, but also don't let up. You can't celebrate now. We got to keep going. And I enjoyed that level of commitment of like still praising, but keeping everything moving, keeping everything functioning very efficiently. And just to mention Julie Ertz, she she hasn't played 90 minutes in, yeah. gosh, over two months. I think this is a really good game for her to get 90 minutes because it wasn't super demanding defensively. So she can have that mental you know, t- take it away as like, okay, mentally I can do 90 minutes. I can do it. But maybe physically it didn't demand as much out of her as a different game would have. And I think that that is going to be really crucial, not only to Julie Ertz, but to the U.S. Women's National Team as they move forward through this this tournament. Joe, sticking with the individual performances, any other names we should spotlight? We've talked a little bit about Lindsay Horan, a little bit about Tobin Heath and Megan Rapinoe. Any, any of them or any other names you think we should uh, spend some time with? That ball from Tobin Heath for the first goal, Taylor, I know you mentioned it just in passing earlier as a great ball, but I, I guess, honestly, Jordan is, is easily the best suited to talk about the technique of that pass. On MLS Assist, I'll have her like rate goals out of 10 because <laughs> they all look hard to me. But this pass from, from Tobin Heath is just incredible. It's, it's first time in the ninth minute to then perfectly re, perfectly lead Rose Lavelle in behind and into the box for the finish. Just, we saw the quality on the ball that Tobin Heath has in this game way more than we saw in the first game against Sweden. And that's a pattern for all these players, right? They looked better in this game, and it's because the passing was sharper and a lot of the individual micro things were just better. The execution was better. But also the team-wide 
tactical performance was much more sound in this game. The rotations improved things and provided more space. The ball circulation was helpful. And when you circulate the ball from side to side, you shift the, oppo- you shift the opposition's defensive block and you create isolated moments for a player like Tobin Heath, whose best quality is her 1v1 work. It's her, it's her ability in those little moments where she has a second to either drive into space and then go 1v1 or just immediately get the ball and beat somebody on the dribble. We saw a lot more of that from Tobin Heath because I think she was just sharper, but also the structure around her and the structure that she was placed within was much more effective. And so I, I think Heath played well. Rapino had some good moments, even though, like, like Jordan was mentioning, doesn't always track back. But again, I really don't think that's her role as much in this system. I think some of the subs were sharp. Katarina Macario had a nice ball uh, leading, I believe it was the U.S.'s final goal. Yeah, it's a, it's a ball from Macario mm-hmm. out to Sam U.S. on the right side. I mean, I just, I love this performance. And I think almost all of the individual performers, with the exception really of the center backs, who I thought were poor, uh, not, not entirely poor, but had more poor moments than anyone else. Um, I thought the performance was good. Uh, and on that Heath uh, assist for the opener, I, I also wanted to spotlight mm-hmm. that I think it's, it is, Lindsay Horan brings that flicked on header down from Carly Lloyd. And I thought in my original notes, it was Horan then lays it off to Tobin Heath, who then plays in Rose Lavelle. Watching again, I think Ursig gets just a toe poke to that ball, because yeah. I think Horan is trying to play in Rose Lavelle herself. But that makes it so much more impressive to me, because it's not just Tobin Heath receiving a pass and reading the scenario and then playing a first-time pass. It is her doing all that. But it's a deflected ball that's coming to her, and she's able to adjust what she's doing to then play that ball first time. And it does seem like a high degree of difficulty there. So I think that is where we see Tobin Heath, like the skill set she brings. And then just like there was one moment when I think she's surrounded by four different defenders and still keeps the ball, doesn't try to do too much, but just knows that she can sort of operate it in that little space. And I think uh, did have a stronger performance, certainly, uh, than the first game we saw her. I was just going to say it's unfair to have Rose Lavelle and yep. Tobin Heath in the same team, oftentimes on the same side. <laughs> I mean, just two of the sauciest players in soccer. It's it's incredible to watch. They really are. And Kayla, you read my mind. I was thinking that same thing. It's the the ball, the pace on the ball was so much more because it was yep. toe poked away. And I think she used her instep, like her laces, to mm-hmm. no look pass yes. to Lavelle. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I I do want to mention. I think my favorite goal was the footwork of Kristen Press. To bring the ball yeah. off of her thigh and then take, she took one step, planted her foot and shot it. It was so quick and it shows you the attention to detail she's had in the past, gosh, I wouldn't even, I don't even know how many years, seven, eight years of her footwork in tight spaces within the box. She knows that she's not going to have a lot of time. The, the touch off of her thigh is perfect because it drops the ball right down to her right foot. So all she has to do is plant, shoot. And it is her balance in that moment. It's difficult to, to judge the flight of the ball, yep. bring it down, get one step, be balanced and shoot it. Absolutely ridiculous from her. And we see that all the time when a center back goes to, to meet the ball and misses, misjudged it and it falls to the attacker that a lot of the time, because there is that, like, oh, I thought the center back would win that one, so I was waiting to see if it skims off. Like, you're not quite in the same position you would have been, and so when the ball does come to you, as if there'd been no defender there, it can be really hard to still be in the right position and still have sort of be up on your toes enough that you can have that first touch. And I think you're absolutely right to spotlight Kristen Press 
having the kind of wherewithal and ability to bring that ball down and then finish calmly. Jordan, Joe mentioned that he will ask you for your like difficulty rankings or ratings. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What Were there any other moments, or maybe we've already talked about them, were there moments in this one that did have you thinking, like, that was really hard to do, I can't believe she did that? Like, were there any individual moments that you found especially impressive? I think, gosh, there... There's probably a lot more than this, but I do think that Kristen Press goal and then even Alex Morgan a few minutes later, the ball again barely misses the foot of a defender and she touches it and pulls it back to the near po- the far post away from where the keeper is traveling across across the face of the goal. Um, really good because it's a quick release. Those those skills, I think they make them look so easy. But when the game is coming fast paced and you're inside the box and there's not a lot of time. And there's a lot of defenders there. It, it's not. It's not simple at all. Like Joe said, I think he thinks every goal is a difficult goal, and a lot of them are. <laughs> and those two are very difficult. Um, so I was impressed with that, and also Alex Morgan just being like, "Okay, Kristen Press, I see you. <laughs> now I'm going to do this as well." Um, I, I thought that was pretty funny, and I think if you're the U.S. Women's National Team, that's what you want. The number of players that scored goals today, um, even just. Kristen Press, I know a couple of them were own goals, but the ability to drive a defender back the way that they were doing it and put them on, you know, their heels in moments where all they can do is try to deflect a ball and unfortunately went in the net a couple of times for New Zealand. But I think that's really promising too. So, um, yeah. yeah, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but those two goals were, I was like, all right, that's <laughs> nice. I mean, yeah, you guys were expecting it to fall to you, which is good. You know, you want a forward who or anybody in the yeah. box who thinks no matter what happens, I am ready for this ball to fall to me. And we really are moving into like it was just comprehensively good because as you mentioned it's yeah. a bunch of different people scoring goals. And it's even Alex Morgan who doesn't start. And I, th- I think it was just an unfortunate moment. But they cut to her to talk about her not starting. And she had the most angry face I think I can imagine. So for a minute, it looked like (laughs) she was furious, but then she comes on and I thought looked really lively and I thought did some of what we saw her trying to do against Sweden, but it worked this time. But then I think also we saw her being better with her runs and better in and around the box. And that is very much on display for her goal, the fifth goal in the 88th minute, because it's Alex Morgan who flicks the ball on into space for Kristen Press. Then she turns and gets forward, gets to the far post. I think Press's ball is for Heath. But it's uh, hit just behind her, but then Alex Morgan is there to finish. And it's sort of the smart play to facilitate the attack, but then the wherewithal to get forward, the awareness that you need to be involved, and then to adjust and still finish. I thought a good game from Alex Morgan. So on the whole, I thought pretty positive. We should maybe talk about a couple negatives or little things we're concerned about before we call this one quits. Joe, you mentioned maybe needing to talk about some things earlier, so I will leave it to you to start this portion of the conversation. So my biggest concern heading into the game against Australia to close out the group stage, I believe that game's on Tuesday, mm-hmm. is uh, just a little something named Sam Kerr. Uh, I'm yeah, very concerned right. about she's Sam right. Kerr. <laughs> Scored three goals uh, for Australia already in this tournament. Australia losing 4-2 to two to Sweden also today as we're recording on Saturday. Uh, Sam Kerr scored both of the goals in that game. And I have concerns about the U.S.'s center back's ability to deal with Sam Kerr, because Abby Dahlkemper, I don't think, looks sharp in this game. Tiona Davidson gets bodied off the ball in the 67th minute and gives up a shot. I mean, it, they weren't, with the exception of the goal, obviously. They didn't give up a huge number of game-changing chances. But uh, against New Zealand, when you're struggling in moments like this, how much more are those issues going to pop up against Australia and Sam Kerr, who is 
one of the best number nines in the world. I mean, it's going to be a challenge for the U.S. And I do think we mentioned earlier the possibility of Sauerbrunn and Davidson starting. I think that's what I would opt for if I'm Vlatko and Donofsky. I think trying that third different center back pairing, it could be the right move. And especially Dahl Kemper, who is it's unfortunate from her, but she is responsible in large part for New Zealand's goal. She she doesn't win. Uh, she doesn't clear the ball effectively, and then she ends up tripping, and that's unfortunate from her. But I think seeing the third set of center backs might be the way to go to try and contain Sam Kerr because you're not going to stop Sam Kerr, but you might contain Sam Kerr. I like I like the idea of containing Sam Kerr, though I do yeah, think it's luck. going to be a challenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I thought. I think like it, it's it is sort of sad that I think every player looking through it again, yeah, for the U.S. today comes off this pitch feeling more confident, feeling better, except for maybe Abby Dahlkemper, who obviously plays a big part in the U.S.'s uh, only goal conceded. She has the sliced clearance, but somehow the ball stays in bounds. Then she loses her footing. But I also think like there's there's the big header for uh, Wilkinson in the 43rd minute that goes just wide, and that was her basically dropping between the center backs and a long diagonal catching uh, Abby Dahlkemper out. And I think that happens again in the second half, that sort of the long ball can catch her a little bit unaware. So maybe changing it up and just trying another combo makes sense. Or maybe you kind of back Abby Dahlkemper to, to rebound and play stronger. But I, I also think wouldn't mind seeing Tina Davidson and Becky Sauerbrunn just to give Dahlkemper a rest, but also to see how that combo works out. I also have concerns about the few times that New Zealand did play aggressively and did step. And a lot of the times it was when the U.S. were doing the sort of familiar patterns of Center uh-huh. back to Crystal Dunn. Crystal Dunn turns to see if there's an option down the line. And if there's not, she looks central. And if it's not there, then she goes back to the center back. And a couple times when she would try to go down the line, New Zealand would read it and they would push numbers further forward. They would step. And when that happened, it was very similar to what I saw against Sweden. It was New Zealand winning the ball. U.S. kind of spread out at that point. New Zealand, if they had continued to commit numbers and continue to send them forward, I think they do get more chances. And so that there were still some of those vulnerabilities there. I think I left that Sweden game thinking they'll probably they the US will probably beat New Zealand. I think they'll beat Australia if Australia play sort of conservative sitting deep and trying to counter or trying to just look long for Sam Kerr every time. But I still have that concern about if teams try to go at the United States and try to make them uncomfortable and press them and just get in their face a little more, I still don't know if they are yet as capable of responding to that as I would like. Jordan, did you see anything along those lines that gave you concern? Or uh, going the other way, did you see aspects of that that maybe were less concerning or that the U.S. was figuring it out? Yeah, I'm I'm like racking my brain right now because did Avidal Kemper start on the right side center back and then in the second half, did she play the left side center back or am I making that up? That, she because definitely that, started on the right. That does seem like maybe she moved around. You might be right there. Because thinking about the goal, she was on the left side you know, that was a movement down that left channel. Yeah. But anyways, that's where I, I feel like is the most dangerous space for the U.S. is if teams can really recognize, all right, Crystal Dunn has gone forward. And depending on who that is, you know, if it's Becky Sauerbrunn, I do think that there's a little bit more stability there just because Becky, she is fast. She's not the fastest on the team, but her ability to read the game is much faster than everybody else. So she makes up for any potential lack in speed. I'm not saying she's slow at all, but you know, there's forwards that are well faster than her. She reads the game better. So maybe she's in the right place as a left center back in that, that last goal or the, the only goal against the U S. But I do think that if, 
you recognize certain cues where the U.S. moved to go to high press or they're building up with Crystal Dunn in a very advanced position, there is a lot of space to be had on an opponent's right side in attack. And I think that that is something that is concerning and maybe could create some kind of rotation with Julie Ertz dropping into the back line and maybe a center back shifting to fill that space that could be left unoccupied by Crystal Dunn. Um, You know, I think that's the risk reward that the U.S. have, especially when they're feeling good and confident is they go in high press. But if you if you encounter press, but if you can beat that first line, as we saw with Sweden and have some little combination of like an up back and through, well, gosh, you can really get at this U.S. team. So I would say there's still concerns there. What rotation can you create that is easy for the U.S. defensively to try to mitigate that space? I think that could be a possibility. But, um, yeah, that I mean, what you mentioned, too, Taylor, is the that left side for the U.S. defensively as well. All right. So we'll see if it is Megan Rapinoe, if it is Crystal Dunn, if it is, say, Abby Dahlkemper on that left side. That vulnerability remains potentially, so how the United States uh, adjusts or limits the effectiveness of any attacks down that side will be a thing to keep an eye on. Joe, any other negatives or concerns for you that you want to keep an eye on as we move to Australia, or should we just end on a positive? I say we end on a positive. I think this was an overwhelmingly (laughs) positive performance. We can justifiably pinpoint some things that could be improved, but man... Way to bounce back. I think that is a, a much improved, well, it just is a much improved performance from match day one. So it's safe to assume that you're feeling better after match day one? Oh, oh yes. Much better, much better today <laughs> than uh, after the last one. I think I'm with you. Jordan, are, are you in the same uh, same boat? Yes. Yep. Same boat. We're all three there. <laughs> all right. Perfect. Well, all, all three of us, uh, I, I, I believe I'm correct in saying, will be uh, with you all listeners Tuesday after that final group stage game against Australia to break that down, talk about the games still to be played. Joe, I know you and I are going to be talking U.S. men's national team tomorrow. Uh, did I say Jordan or Joe just then? You said, uh, you said okay, Joe. good. You got, sure. you got it. You guys, <laughs> y'all with the similarity. Similarity of the James. Uh, but <laughs> right? yes, Joe and I will be talking about the U.S.-Jamaica game, maybe doing a quick take hot take Sunday night and then a fuller review on Monday. We'll see what the schedule looks like. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for taking the time to talk about the USA's big 6-1 win over New Zealand in the Olympics with me. You got it, Taylor. Jordan, I will spare you all of that uh, same rambling conclusion and just say thank you very much for uh, the analysis, (laughs) the wisdom, and the uh, ability to break down the difficulty of goals, which neither Joe nor myself possess. (laughs) Thank you. You know, I'm here to help. uh, Always. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate that. Listeners, we appreciate you all listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon.